Hello, citizens of the Imperium, and welcome back to another ultra special episode of the Horus Hour podcast. I'm your host, Singh. With me, as always, my venerable Sigilite, Varela. Varela, how are Hello you? Hello there. I'm doing uh, pretty, pretty badly. We got some blue to cover. Never like that. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while. I mean, to be fair, I haven't exposed you to too much blue, really. There's been a little bit, obviously, like little splatters. But, you know, season four is the last time we actually had any proper big ultramarine stuff going on, right? With uh, No No Fear and Betrayer. Uh, honestly, um, there just shouldn't be any blue, let's be real. Well, <laughs> that's, that's what Horus tried, you know? He tried the whole... That was, wasn't that what the whole Ruin Storm was about? God, I, I wish this is the only thing I wish the word bearers were successful in. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, it's almost as if if they'd planned Kelf, it might have worked, but they just sort of <laughs> chucked a load of people at it. Anyway, unremembered empire this week. You know, essentially the Imperium Secundus book, the founding of Imperium Secundus, Bobby G's no no, as some would call it. Um is is in this book and again i think we get a i okay i know you're biased but we go into this we've got an okay understanding of gilliman right but no no fear is kind of like a demonstration of his combative ability his tactical ability this really looks at him as a individual and as a character did you right. come out of this book liking Bobby G more, disliking him more, perhaps finding him more endearing? Uh, I think I came out disliking him more. Because C- like, not only does he still have that know-it-all whole theoretical practical thing, but now he's also, in terms of emotions, he's literally just a human and he keeps letting his emotions just overrule um what would otherwise be a, you know, sound tactical decision. And it's just like, the only thing that made you any good, you're absolutely denying it just by having cold logic. I see. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's demonstrative of, uh, you know, it's, it's, you've got to remember, I think it's important with the context of what he knows. So he's had Kalf happen. He's then had two years of basically chasing Lorgar and Angron around. And basically no other news has gotten through to him, really, um, at the start of his book. All he knows is that there are... And I think this is... I don't know when this is set. I can't quite tell if this is set before or after Betrayer. I'm assuming after, right? Because in Betrayer, there would probably have been some other loyal legions without spoiling anything that would have helped helped him out uh, at the Battle of New Syria, right? Um, so I've got to assume this is after Betrayer, chronologically. Yeah, I, I suppose. It, yeah, because haven't the word bearers already left the 500 wars, worlds by then? Because otherwise... It's kind, of in, it's kind of implied that, like, yeah, the Shadow Crusade has sort of run its course, and now the Ruin Storm is keeping everything from leaving and coming in. Yeah. So it's at the stage now. And, we're t- you know, this is years of, this is years, you know, uh, uh, of sort of unaware, which doesn't, uh, we'll get into it in a little bit. The timeline seems a little bit askew here. I think we do have 
a little bit of a continuity error um, with one of the key factions that enter that enter the field in this in this book. So so yeah, but Gilliman really doesn't know what's going on, and this book is all about and you know he feels he thinks he is the last loyal Primarch out there. He thinks all the traitor Primarchs are circling him, ready to strike. He thinks anyone who, who was loyal, he doesn't really know exactly who is loyal, is probably dead because it's been years and no word has reached them from terror. So it's interesting. It's interesting. And when you put even even a Primarch put in that situation, it's going to, um, it's going to affect them emotionally and it's going to... Uh, test them and i think also gilliman in this book because it's because abnett writes this and abnett wrote no no fear there's continuity that lorgar really got in gilliman's head and no no fear did you find that translated into into this book for you um mainly at the end i'm not gonna spoil it for sure because um he gilliman shows um i i guess leniency towards certain traitor marines but not towards a word bearer that claims to do the same you know um mm. so i i suppose that yeah like he he's completely willing to like accept um other legion elements including from the traitors but not a word bearer you know yeah yeah um i think there's dialogue through you know it kind of feels like whenever he has to say Lorgar's name he spits you know, it's like blasted Lorgar or that damned Lorgar, etc. Yeah, it's so, like it's through his teeth. Yeah. So with all with all this in mind, there's so there, one thing I will say, we were just saying it just before we start the episode. It's I re the pacing is really good. This isn't a big book, right? This isn't a Graham McNeil sized book. Yet all the arcs are pretty they don't the arcs they don't mess around, do they? The plot just continues at a steady pace and there's no divvering i find there's a few places where it feels too fast i suppose and things goes too far the other way even interesting yeah Yeah, like sometimes you're just like reading one thing and a lot of nowhere you're just like in a completely different place which you know it's i guess it's the goal of the book because it just goes from um from storyline to storyline as many other books in the uh heresy do uh, but the thing is, like, they're not chronologically. They're not ordered, uh, and then there's like some that go into like a, a little bit before the beginning of the one that you were just reading, and then some that go a little bit after, like the end of the one that you just read. And it yeah, can so get we've just confusing. We've just covered fear to tread, haven't we? And then it's almost like it's not, if this was a TV episode, for example, it'd be like fear to tread ends, and then it'd be like eight weeks earlier. McCrag, you know, yeah, it's kind of, that's kind of how you have to look at how we've translated into this book. But I feel like it's relevant to know what the, had happened to the Blood Angels. I mean, he's on the cover. Sanguinius is in this book, you know, um, and and what's happened to them rather than cover this book and then go back and be like the sort of, I've seen some shit, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> right, we've got to get on with Thursday ratings though, man. So before that, out of ten, to the nearest decimal point, please. Um, what are you scoring this book? Does honestly, it break the nine? Does it break the nine? Honestly, even though it's a Smurf book, I do like it a lot. 
Um, one of the reasons is it, it just proves once more that the lion's a goddamn idiot. Um, I mean, it, yeah. it's not a spoiler. spoiler. It's just that he's an idiot. Everybody knows that, oh, but like, okay. there's there's oh, a certain okay. scene where it's proven that he's even more of an idiot than we thought, okay. and uh, you know that's just a positive for me. It's, it's just like vindication. I just want any other Primark, please apply. <laughs> Second favorite yeah. for goddamn. Can we cut to the first ever. Yeah, the first ever. First ever sort of thing we did for Horus Hour, where I asked you what your favorite Legion was. Yeah. It's, the, it's a toss-up between the Dark Angels and the White Scars. I think it's safe to say the White Scars have firmly left the Dark Angels in the dust. Yes. Uh, okay, right. But good. the Dark Angels are still in second. It's just a Primark. All right. Anyways, as for the rating, I will give it a 9.00001. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's it. Okay. <laughs> It's an inter- It's a tough one for me. It's tough. It's tough. It's all written really well. Uh, yeah, it's got to break. It's going to break the nines for me. It's a nine point one three four seven six two for me. That's a good number. <laughs> that, was, that was really strong. Really strong. Um, but what did you guys think? I think as well, just to give everyone a little bit of a reminder, in case you haven't read the book in a while. We're going to turn to Nick first with his short story that he's written us. And uh, as per last week, we're going to uh, take it in turns. Um, he's kindly cut it up into paragraphs. So we'll 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 do we'll do we'll do the same role uh, as last time. I'm not ready. All right. Do you want to go first or? <laughs> Right, okay. I got a D6. Right, I've got a D6. Oh, okay, okay. Do you want to go higher than three or lower than three? Can, can I choose three numbers instead? What? Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. All right, all right. I'll go with uh, one, three, and five. That's it. You can go with four? No, 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 no. I don't want no four. It's five. Well done. Ah, uh, there so, you go. You, it's you first. You, you first. Meters. <laughs> Yep. I mean, I'm going to really nail the delivery on this, mate. So if anything, you've got to follow me up. So Yeah, but you're going to set the pace, though. So it's going to be easier for me. Okay. I'm going to gather my inner John Banks here. <laughs> <clears throat> the Unremembered Empire kicks off one of my favorite... I can't do that. One of my favorite <laughs> heresy story arcs. That of the Imperium Secundus. A necessity. A hope. And to the eternal shame of three Primarchs, a folly. Also, spoiler section. Oops. Uh, <laughs> Gilliman has ordered, has fortified McCrag and the 500 worlds in the wake of the Imperium dividing ruined storm. The Astronomicon and Terror are cut off. Theoretical. Horus has taken Terror and the Emperor has fallen. Practical. Establish a new Imperium. Uh, while acting like you don't want to use your own personal galactic kingdom of Ultramar as the centre of that empire, and certainly don't want to set up the em- yourself as the head of that empire, even though you already run it. But have no fear. I know no fear. Your dear, your dear shady brother, whom you do not trust at all, has magically arrived with a large portion of his legion. This can only go well. All right, I'm not gonna do what you're doing, by the way. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read it. <laughs> That's boring. That's boring. No, with some conviction, Brella. Come on. <clears throat> okay, okay. Come on. <clears throat> the lion arrives, but he's brought a surprise sibling with him, and he's not the only one with such a secret. 
So while Rubute and the lion catch up on current events, Kurz decides to make a rather dramatic exit from the lion's ship. In what may... Wait, in what may be one of the greatest and most tense scenes in the series, Rubuti and the lion must establish a quick level of trust. Does Rubuti lower the shields of the city to allow the Dark Angel drop pods to land safely because of an unexplained miscommunication, or leave them raised so that pods destroy themselves on the shield as this may be some kind of traitorous trick? It is the First Legion, after all. Rubuti makes the fateful decision to spare the lives of his brother's sons, but they aren't the only things that have landed on McCrag. Another key facet of this story arc is the Pharos, a Xenos lighthouse that helps guide ships through the void and the warp, an effective replacement for the Astronomicon. Not only did it bring the Lion, but also lost elements of other legions, and even the tortured Vulcan makes a crashed landing. The latter is Gilliman's secret, as these shattered loyalist forces begin to establish a coalition to begin moving forward with their cause. It is at this point when things begin to take a turn for the worse, as Kurz makes his presence known. The fragile trust between Gilliman and the lion is nearly broken as the night hunter slaughters his way across the city. This precognitive ability is almost maddening, even to the reader, as he stays several steps ahead of all that pursue him. He's unstoppable, even having the edge when battling his brothers simultaneously. He nearly killed Gilliman's adoptive mother and would have succeeded if not for her massive ball. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> for the loyal ferocity of her route watch pack. Creative However, liberties taken. What? what? Creative liberties taken there. Nick, yeah. I mean, not used the word massive balls. <laughs> A little bit, you know. Uh, <laughs> However, what Kurz did not count on his. On was his brother and former prisoner, Vulcan going full Hulk mode on him. If you know the history of uh, between these two, this was a very satisfying battle. If only the Cabal and their perpetual agents hadn't gotten involved. The chaos and destruction left in Kurz's wake is eventually brought to order, for now. And a third legion arrives, the Blood Angels, drawn by the light of the Pharos, and still coming to grips with the events that took place on Cygnus Prime, as seen in last week's episode, Fear to Tread. Again, creative liberties taken. <laughs> with them comes Sanguinius, who, with his brothers, will form the triumvirate of Imperial Secundus. Like most Abnet novels, it's a cut above the rest. There's a lot going on, but he delivers it all in such a way that you're always engaged with the story and never lost. Curse stands out as a supervillain who will continue to haunt McCrag until the dissolution of this new Imperium. The storyline, while featuring plenty of Astartes' bolter action, is also a nice change from the usual Void Warfare and tactical line battles. While it doesn't sound exciting, you get a chance to see Astartes politics and bureaucracy at its finest. No easy feat, but Abnett handles it brilliantly. This is just a start for Imperium Secundus. You, you want to read the rating? 9.865 practicals out of 10. There you go. Then there's it's a, a good summary in case you've forgotten. <laughs> right. Do we do another, does Varela now have to do another Discord review on his own this time, or do we go to Twitter? Varela, do you want to keep the same numbers? Uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, fin I'll finish it off, you know, um, with the oh, Discord. Oh, I was going to yeah. do the dice roll again. Oh, okay, sure, sure, sure. Uh, okay, we can do, do you that. you want to repick your numbers? Yeah, yeah I'm going to repick re them. Um, two, three, and six. That's th Those are the ones. So, if, if I have to go to Twitter, if if it's uh, two, three, or six, is that what we're saying? No, 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 no. I'll, I'll read it. Like I'll just—I guess we decide what happens if it goes okay. into any other. It's two, 
It's too. It's your lucky day, mate. What What's I the say, lottery bro? tickets tonight in the UK, by the way, mate? What's the winning numbers? Uh, wait, wait. What's the max number? I don't know. <laughs> Come on, man. Just what say some heck? numbers. Uh, one twenty-six, forty-five, twenty-nine. There you go, folks. Enjoy being rich. Um, uh, is it is it just four numbers though? Is it? Like- I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Damn, bro, you don't play the lot. Have a lock of a dice man. today, right? What would you like to do? Uh, I'll I'll read mine. I'll read mine first. Mm-hmm. Uh, by mine, I mean. <laughs> Thank you, of course, to Nick. Point. Thank you, of course, to Nick for giving us not only a good summary but also a really interesting point of view. Yes. Um, and uh, you can find Nick and all of us over on the Discord, potentially in the Patreon members area, if you sign up for as little as one pound a month. Ooh, cheeky little Patreon plug. promotion. <laughs> shameless plug. <laughs> right, go on, brother. All right, so we have a um, review by the Blood of Sanguinius. That's his actual name. It's not the Blood of Sanguinius that's giving us the review. It's by the Blood of Sanguinius. All right, anyways, uh, 9.7986 out of 10. One of my favorite books of the heresy, definitely in my top five so far. Great to firstly see so many Primarchs in one book. Unprecedented, I think. The difficult dynamic between Gilliman, Sanguinius, and the Lion. Well, mainly caused by the Lion. Even though the concept of Secundus was good, it showed that the Primarchs would never have been able to be subject to anyone other than Jimmy Space. Chris showing himself to be a lot more effective than people give him credit. Him being able to keep three Primarchs on their toes and tied down away from the greater conflict causing conflict between the Primarchs and the population's belief in them, I think cannot be overlooked. If the Lion had not bought Curse, brought Curse to Secundus, trademark, almost patented Lion decision-making here. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> the three Primarch Legions could have got back to Terra for the final showdown, or potentially picked off the Traitor Legions around the Sons of Horus individually, leaving the Sons of Horus to fight alone. As to be fair, they weren't actually fighting that cohesively for Horus, so nice one, Lion. Nice one. I mean, I don't necessarily think that Curse stopped them from, you know, curb stomping the other ones. I, I think they couldn't leave, ain't it? Yeah, I mean, we, as we said earlier, it's hard to say. I assume the, the world eaters and word bearers have slinked away at this point. Um, this is my main gripe, is... Kalf, it's like two years after Kalf, did they say? Yeah. But the Dark Angels are in the Thramus Crusade for the for like at least half a decade. Fighting the Night Lords. Okay. So how have they got here? I think I think given in the current point of time in the heresy, they should be in the Thramus Crusade. I don't know. If someone knows that, please tweet us because it just seemed... I, I mean, I don't really get wound up on those things because at the end of the day, it's it's just for Horus Heresy, isn't it, mate? That's sometimes how it goes. Everyone seems to forget about the 10,000 Morlock Terminators. Wait, 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 wait. So, so production, production has just gone into the Thromus Crusade fandom page. It apparently only took two years from uh, 07 to 09, millennia 31. So I, I guess it's... I swear to Thromus Crusades. I, I, did, I, Savage, I did Savage Weapons and... Um, I read the other one, Prince of Crows. I swear the Kramas Crusade takes more than two years. Maybe, also maybe the they really? retconned it. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Let's, uh, I'm going to go to Twitter now. Um, uh, production can keep searching if they feel so inclined. Okay. Vassal of Ultramar. Again, 
much like by the blood of Sanguinius, I'm sure this can't be skewed in any way. Oh, look, he's given it a 9.7. I don't know why. This book is fantastic. The way it ties together so many separate plot lines makes it one of the most essential books in the series. Abner never disappoints. My only minor complaint is that Kurz seems a bit overpowered compared to the other Primarchs. Yeah, so again, if you haven't read um, about the Thramus Crusade, which is really should have had a book of its own, I think, but it's kind of chucked into two primary short stories that I highly recommend checking out. But um, yeah, I mean, he, in the first short story, again, so, you know, spoilers for these short stories, he has a fight with a lion. It's very down and dirty in, in the mud and neat, but can't really be bested. But then in the second short story, AD, ADB's written both as well. So I'm sure this is to sort of reflect just sort of where, the, where they've both grown and, and uh, reduced in their combat ability. Sort of the lion does sort of nearly definitively beat Kurs and ultimately captures him. And that's, um, well, I say captures, he's on the edge of capturing him and Kurs basically throws Sevatar in. <laughs> Uh, to to take the fall, and Kurs slinks off into the belly of the of the Dark Angel's flagship, while Sevatar and other key members of of the Night Lords are captured. Um, and that's where that's where we leave off, and that's how the Framus Crusade comes to a very um, devastating conclusion. And and I believe as they're trying to leave Framus, the Pharos pulls them here. So that's what that's how we got where we are. Um, uh, Natalie says easily a nine I love a book that's bold enough to have one of the last scenes on the front of the cover I also use the Imperium Secundus as a way to justify my world eaters being loyal to the Emperor but still fighting on the wrong side so they're like what's that for like a, I guess like they're, a double they're, agent they're a second version of the Alpha Legion traitor squared like, traitor squared oh my traitor god squared. Uh, so they're but I mean, they're not, they're not on the wrong side. Um, we'll have to see what happens in later novels when they realise that perhaps the Imperium lives, what the Ultramarines and co. do then. But I'm pretty sure they're not going to be like, oh, I kind of like it over here, to be honest. I'm just going to stay here. Good luck on Terradorn. Um, Rich says, a seven or an eight. I read it pretty soon after it came out and don't remember that much about it. Not a joke. So it can't be bad and can't have been stellar. Yeah, I mean, I think when I when we were planning this, this series uh, what I think the the I don't know about you Rella but I think the, one of the most standout moments for me there's two standout moments actually there is Kurz's very dramatic entry to McCrag and that sort of like do we trust each other well, we've got to make a decision it's like you've got 30 seconds until like thousands of dark angels have splattered across um, McCrag's you know shield um, that's that's one standout moment and the other is is Vulcan absolutely beast mode incurs out a window um, and then flying into fire raptor gunships <laughs> I don't know about yourself um yeah <laughs> I was okay. still I was still looking up a Thramus oh okay right okay I'll keep going Carl so, Eldor okay. says 10 out of 10 this is the <laughs> Avengers book of the heresy yeah you know it, it really depends this book I think is probably a hit or a miss depending on whether you like a lot of Primarchs in your novels or not um, so I think some people might mark it down for that reason, but at the same time, I understand. But if you like Primarchs and you like a massive conglomerate of cast of different legions, then this is the this is the book for you. I think. Um, I mean, Leaky said, 
Wait, wait, wait. which one was the one on Terra with the Motley crew? That, that one's the Avenger. Yeah, Outcast said that's dead. That one's the Avenger. One. Hey, all of them are Avengers then. <laughs> Garrow, Garrow is the Avengers. Garrow yeah. is like the closest to the Avengers. Yeah, Garrow is um, literally Captain America, dude. Come on. That is true. He's kind of like, can't be faulted. Doesn't swear. <laughs> um, Leaky Cheese says 9.5 out of 10. Also known as How to Write the Ultramarines Cool. A great story with many threads working together to an excellent, uh, an exciting climax, featuring five Primarchs in one story whilst giving each worthy attention and John Grammaticus. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's a solid, um, it's a really solid book. I've, and I'm kind of regretting not marking it higher now, but I just know we have so many books left and I know some of the Siege of Terror books are meant to be stellar. So it's broken into the nines, but I'm not really that willing to give out sort of nine, 9.5 pluses at the moment. Coward. Um, Speaking of, Sasha gives it a nine. Ready for this, Ferelu? Nine point six nine. Oh. Nice. Four twenty. <laughs> oh wow! Damn, bro. You know, so he's really showing his age and maturity here. Um, <laughs> Empires out of ten great rifts, Primark throwdowns, desperate last stands, and blossoming brotherhood between the loyalist legions feature prominently here. Blossoming brotherhoods. That's one way. That's one way to put it. Um, <laughs> Mama Gilliman tells a Primarch how she really feels Space Wolves are written uh, excellently because it's terrifying. Yeah, I think a lot of those apply. Um, don't think the Dark Angels and Ultramarines become best friends in this book, though, do they? But, um, I mean, they get closer to it, I suppose. So Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah sure. <laughs> um, the, and finally, to round us off, the regular says 9.5 comrades out of 10 lines. The Vampire and the Hunters couldn't be a name for the book. How we got five Primarchs in one, in one book and my boy the lion, um, main hunter, really shows how human the Primarchs can be. Lion holding secrets, Gilliman also holding secrets, but crying about the lion's holding of secrets. The effects of a terror that is Conrad Kurz and also the effect his torture had on Vulcan. Um, I think it's sort of, yeah, you're right, it's plain for all to see. I think John is a real hero of this story. When I first heard this, I was like, John's going to kill Vulcan, but ultimately what he does affects the whole story more than anything in the book. But what a book. Kurz is an actual beast and nearly destroys the loyalists. Space Wolves cannon fodder again. Swear they just did most books to die. They do save Gellerman's mum, so it works out. Re-listen to this book and it was still as good as the first listen. Yeah, okay. So we've taken a lot of time again to do Thursday ratings. So let's try and come at this a little bit more efficiently. Are you, out of, produ- are you out of production? I, th- I thought there were still a few more. Wait. I thought I got them all. Oh, sorry. Uh, Geeks with Shields. I always nearly miss Geeks with Shields. There's always like a technical <laughs> error. And like I have to re- resend the tweet or something after we put it in. You know what? It gets a 10 out of 10, they say. Wowzer. I don't think we've had... I don't think, I can't, I'm sure we have had 10. Yeah, can't handle it. But you're yeah. getting a fair few 10 out of 10s here. Fair few 10 out of 10s. You know what? It gets a 10 out of 10. Mama Gilliman pushes it over the edge. So many separate plot threads, expertly worked together, most of them Primarchs. This is Gilliman and his element, still struggling to hold it all together. Damn, people people really rooting for Mama Gilliman. Clearly a uh, favoured character here. I mean, yeah, everybody talks about Latara Saren, but what about... Is it Oiten? Is that, is that how it's said? Or is it Uten? Uh... Come on, man! You're 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 the audiobook guy, man. You gotta know. I can't remember. 
Damn it. <laughs> I was too in awe of her badassery. Um, your production, you figure it out. But yeah, this book, this book has it all, really. Um, and again, I think some people might argue that it's too much, but I, it's like it's a book where a lot happens in the world, and it and it is an important founding of a story. But in terms of the combat that takes place in Imperium Secundus, this book takes a step back for the most part. It lets it's going to let the uh, other books of of the Imperium Secundus art take the brunt of those with Pharos and Angels of Caliban. So this is more about um, how is Gilliman getting by? How, you know, all these different little threats that you don't think about, you know. So, for example, I'm sure Varela was very fond of this moment where Gilliman gets thrown basically into a hell in a cell with 10 Alpha Legion operatives. Um I I have to, I'm gonna have to go check. I'm hoping that Aenid Feel is alive. I hope he I hope he hasn't died in a short story and we missed it. I I don't I don't think he's dead because um, it, I I think it's just like random Ultramarines armor because they scrapped out like the unit um, they scratched out the unit numbers and stuff. Yeah, so obviously they've just like heard his name. Yeah, through like the legends of Calf, you know, and like Calf is. Forget how long Calf's for. Calf's are like years. I heard someone say it's ten years. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe maybe like small elements of word bearers hold out in Calf for a decade, but wasn't it like two years? The so it's two war? years. So the book is set two years after the ambush at Calf. No, yeah, so, yeah, but I mean, like the underworld war takes two years, right? Supposedly, yeah. yeah. I mean, so what? I, you know, I just said that someone else, Captain Pedantic, today, aren't you? <laughs> no, um, I'm literally just asking because I don't remember. Production ride me hard on this show, guys. It's not easy. It's not easy being talent. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean that's a great scene. Um, did did it have you going? Um, you're gonna say no. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, good. You know, watching Gilliman get hit. Always. Good. No, I mean like. Always fun. Did you? Did you? Were you like? Yeah, this is an A and it feel. Oh no! Yeah, for sure. Like the the second that he that they all walked in, like he just went like, "Oh yeah, I want I want you to meet my squad members." And then a a dude actually covers the door, and they're all armed. I'm like, "Yeah, okay, okay, bro." Yeah, and Gilliman's like, "God, I train these guys so well." Yeah, they're even covering the door. But like, like uh, yeah, no, they weren't fooling anyone other than Gilliman. And this is like what I was what I meant by um, oh, the only side that's good to Gilliman is completely like destroyed in this book. Cause he's just like, ah, yes, my sons come back from Kalf. Oh, look, they're so traumatized that they're covering the door. Oh, Oh, look, they're so traumatized that they've drawn their weapons. How nice. <laughs> like, bro, come on. It's obvious. It's not your sons. Yeah. Like, but uh, as now. he says, cause, uh, you know, cause the thing is Gilliman's mind goes faster than his body. Doesn't it? By, by a, a very long way. Um, again, he doesn't know the ins and outs of Istvan. He doesn't, you know, that's why later on, for all he knows, the Dark Angels give those siege weapons to Perturabo and then they go and team up and and smack, you know, Korax around the head on Istvan. You know, he doesn't know. So he doesn't even, you know, he's like, 
okay, well, I mean, you know, seems seems like these rumours I've been hearing about his fan of True Dan, the out is the Alpha Legion. Um, also, my little bit of a, I thought it was really cool because he is like, he's basically in what I only perceive to be basically like as a toga and he's having to fight all these guys. Um, no, he had I mean, armor on. Just, okay. Right. Yeah, because he gets hit I in the shoulder pauldron and one of them yeah. even gets ripped off. Yeah, okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, but it's like, I did feel it was a little bit cheap how he got out of it. We, an alpha legionnaire is has gotten by the throat and is bad guy monologuing. Bro, it's the classic. It happened with Corfair as well, bro. It, it's just plot armor. It's the yeah. the beginning of ultramarine plot armor right here. See, this is why Gilliman survives. He makes himself so unbearable that everyone who goes to kill him is like, I'm going to take my sweet time killing him because I really dislike this guy. And they start monologuing and then he can get out of it. This is all pre-planned. This is why he is the way he is. Honestly, man, you just got to get on me and Gilliman's level. Um, sorry, sorry, Bobby. Sorry, Bobby. Sorry, Bobby G. I reveal these secrets. He's not garbage. He's, but he is like, he's annoying. He is a little bit. I'll say he's <laughs> annoying, but like annoying people sometimes get results, don't they? So, um, I mean, I think that's a, a great moment in the book. Do you have a favorite arc overall? Yeah, John's. You prefer Johnson's, yeah. yeah. Sort of sneaking about, doing, uh, doing, doing all stuff. sorts, doing all sorts, and, um, I mean, I won't lie, I didn't get my reread done in time. Uh, <laughs> so if I remember, John get goes and finds a spear, or he gets given a spear. He's already got it. He's already got it. You got it on um, in Betrayer, was it? It, it was from a word think... bearer. No, it was from Vulcan Lives, right? Oh, gets... we finally come full circle from Vulcan Lives. Okay, that's right. Okay. Wow, that feels like a long time ago. We yeah, that Vulcan was a long time in. ago. Vulcan Lives. That was a, I, yeah, a little bit of a slog of a book in an episode, I feel like. Um, but you're right. Yeah, he gets, he gets killed in Vulcan Lives and then comes back, doesn't he, as well? A bunch of times, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's got the spear and I forget how he, how does he exit Vulcan lives then? Cause at the start of this book, he's, he fights a demon at the very, his first entry point, right? Um, no, no, that's no, oh, that's the other guy. I'm sorry guys. I'm whiffing. Who cares about human characters? Am I right? I've always, <laughs> I've always stood to reason that like, I remember we used to, we used to just like in the opening books, Euphrates Kilo was just cut. Like <laughs> we didn't even, we just like had a throw away five minutes about what the humans got up to in the episode. And that's, Still where my priorities are at. Um, it is uh, a bit of an Avengers book. Yeah, he gets out of a uh, Vulcan lives by just unloading this digi laser onto the the Salamander's captain, and then he takes his Stormbird, isn't it? Something like that. Uh, and the Salamander's captain is just right. like completely like just destroyed by this digi laser. That like he unloaded it so hard, he broke the digi laser, and then the guy is just standing there, and he gets picked off by a war bearer, isn't it? Wait, is it at Narek as well? Hold up. It's all coming full circle. Come on, production. Come on, production. Um, yeah. Okay, so you're right. So it's the other guy who's been sent is is has to sort of fight a demon when he appears on the planet, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, it was uh, because it was planned out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Um, I'm trying, you know. What, okay, so here's a question. This book's all about Imperium Secundus. Yes. Sorry. From your point of view, okay, mm-hmm. from your point of view, given what Gilliman knows, should he made right and remove the bias, remove Voltrami's bias? Given what Gilliman knows, is he wrong to assume that Terror has fallen? Should um, he should he have like been putting all his efforts in trying to get through the ruin storm, or do you think he's he's somewhat right to say? There is a very good chance. It's been years. They've absolutely decimated us at Kalf. If that's happened to every loyalist legion, and we've got multiple traitor legions heading for terror, is it safe to assume that in fact terror is gone and we now need to look to bolster this place as this is all that's left? I think the decision to regroup was a good one. I don't think, however, that after the regrouping is done that they should have stayed put, you know? Because let's imagine that... Let's even imagine that Terra has fallen, right? Like, if Terra itself has fallen, like, what's the chance that you're going to be able to hold McCrag? Like, you're not going to have much of a chance. What you're going to have to do is try and break through the Ruin Storm or even try and, like, find isolated pockets of traitor forces. Yeah, because, like, Gillam... As right? I'm going to call her from now on, Gillamum. Uh Gillamum is, like, the planet's impenetrable. You know, and I'm like, really? So they think it would take terror. I mean, like, Gilliman, I don't know how well versed you are in strategy and military force, but if, they, if they've taken terror, it's like a terror, but defended by Rogal Dawn, by the way. Rogal Dawn, who Gilliman rates, by the way, guys. So basically, <laughs> Dawn is the best Primarch because Gilliman uses cold logic and he loves Rogal Dawn. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think McCrag is holding against all the traitor forces, right? Surely. No, I think even if it was just the Sons of Horrors, I'm pretty sure McCrag would fall. Oh. Like, no. That's basically what does happen in 40k. That's how Gilliman comes back. Yeah. With, um, the Black Legion. Stormy Ultramar. Different time, I guess. Only a thousand Ultramarines there. Yeah, Abaddon just needs a Blackstone Fortress and McCrag's gone, dude. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think they... Even with all of the regrouped elements, they wouldn't have been able to hold. So I think the decision to try and stand still is a terrible one like if terra still stands like you're, you're better off trying to regroup with terra if terra doesn't stand you're better off trying to like weaken your enemy before he can actually reach mccrag you know which is what the wolves are doing uh you know commendable decision that's right and yeah the ultramarines are adaptable so that is something they, they could do and um uh yeah so for me it is a tough one. I like Bobby G. I think he's just listening to Gilliman a little bit too much on this one. And as much as he's like, well, you know, I wouldn't be the leader, though, guys. I wouldn't be the leader. I wouldn't be the leader, but I'm just going to run all the important stuff. Um, and then Lion can go hit people with his sword and Sanguinius can be a figurehead, basically. So Gilliman is basically Parliament. Gilliman wants to be the entirety of Parliament, ultimately takes orders from Sanguinius, but he's going to be basically in charge of running the whole show. You know, so it's sort of like Sanguinis in name only, really, isn't it? Uh, I, I, don't think, I don't think it is, though. Because I, I think Gilliman would legitimately let Sanguinis at least run the war side of things, right? 
So I, I guess Gilliman would be the government and Sanguinius would be like, well, War Is it out? Uh, right, okay. So here's a, here's another problem I have. There's the Imperium Secundus arc blends quite well together. So it's, and, and because I, I was slow and I didn't get all my reread done, it's difficult to remember what's decided in this book and what's decided in the next book. Have they, so they, so it's called the Triumvirate. Have they outlined uh, the Triumvirate? No. Okay. Um, you know, the, I, but I think the general the gist, book. the gist that you'll see in the next book is li- the lion is basically the aggressive factor. Uh, he's, um, I believe he becomes the warden of Imperium Secundus. So he go there, like, go hit these people with your sword. He doesn't, he's actually in charge of the fighting. Um, terrible idea. Am I right? I think in my, you know, I don't know what job you give him. Just be like lion up in the mountains of McCrag. There's a monster. Monster! And just let him run off. That'll be him sorted for the next few years. Yeah, just tell him there's a Calibanite lion somewhere in McCrag. No, I killed the only one left. I have to kill the last one. (laughs) He's just like going around every zoo. Have you seen this lion? Dude, Gilliman's a goddamn idiot. Why don't you just tell the lion that the the guy roaming around destroying McCrag was actually a Calibanite lion, bro? It would have ended in like yeah. what two hours? Like, come on, man! God damn it! But, um, I mean, the, the scene—the scene where they're, they're having to decide whether to trust each other—I think is so cool, and it sort of does away with all the the umming and ahhing that this book could have had. Like this, could, this book could have been a lot longer and had a lot more of like the line and Gilliman, like, "Is he loyalist? Is he traitor? Is he loyalist?" But then it's like Kurz is like, "Surprise." Make a decision, you know, and then, <laughs> and then very quickly, they have to be like, right, okay, we have no idea here, especially for Gilliman. Gilliman's like, if this is an invasion ploy, I have to, I might potentially, I forget how many it is. Is it a thousand or is it ten thousand Dark Angels? Uh, I think it's five thousand. Five thousand, okay. or, or it's like it's in the thousands. What, I think it's a thousand drop pods, so that would be like ten thousand. Ten thousand, yeah. And so that's like half the Dark Angels that have come here. Are about to land on McCrag. I wonder if they just splatted anyone. <laughs> you know, They're like what's what's the, what's the infrastructural damage that all those drop pods have done? And other Dark Angel's going to pay for it. <laughs> That's important stuff here. Here, guys. That's what Gilliman should have done. Should have been like, "Line your task and all your legendary task is to repair all the damage that you did with your drop pods." <laughs> We go around building, rebuilding buildings, and do manual labor for years, um, and I. But I think this book establishes itself really well, and it is kind of cool because we're going to get to see Sanguinius as essentially a, a, a war master type figure, which a lot of people would have potentially argued he'd have been in the running for. I don't know if you agree with that that Sanguinius could have been war master and should have perhaps should have been war master. I mean, Gilliman disagrees with me, but I think the order for War Master was Horus, Dorn, and then Sanguinius. So, the only yeah. reason I'd say no to Dorn, I mean, for an Imperial Fist person, I, I don't sort of unbiasedly love them. And what, I mean, Alexis Pollux is in this book, and I've only just mentioned him. Oh, so God. I'm, all, all I'm saying is they say, like, can you have a look at our defenses? He's like, sure. And then Kurz infiltrates and terrorizes the entire city. <laughs> uh, cheers, Alexis. Absolutely, absolutely stellar victory once again. Um, 
Yeah, like, as, he, one, as he does that, like, three people infiltrate the planet and aren't detected. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And, um... It was kind of weird, like... One thing I found weird was when John Grammaticus is sort of sizing up the defences. He's like, oh, I mean, the 13th Legion's uh, defensive measures are just to put guns everywhere. No, this has background checks and port scanning. This is the work of the 7th, the Imperial Fist. And I'm like, what? No, he said he says it's Iron Warriors first, and then he goes, yeah, oh, yeah, I know. The, I know. The sensors are pointed inwards. Yeah. Must talk, have been yeah. in why do you have to bring that? Why do you have to bring up these guys? I've got forty-five minutes in without having to talk about Dantioch either. <laughs> Come on, Dantioch's a pretty swell character, man. I mean, we never did the, we never did Dantioch's origin story, did we? That again, short story somewhere about what how he stays loyal and everyone around him turns traitor. Um, it's kind of cool. I, I, he's like, he's he's a, he's proof that the Space Marines are not perhaps immortal. He's kind of running on fumes um, <laughs> in his old age. And I i mean, yeah, I mean, the Pharos Beacon as well. We haven't really spoken about that. What do you think the Pharos Beacon is and where has it come from? Um, Maybe they say it's like made of like this black stone, a wink wink yeah. um, sort of thing. So I, I guess it's probably Necron. Because it yeah. also just completely avoids the warp, which is like a really Necron thing to do, right? But yeah. But then you think about the empathic part of it, and you go like, that doesn't sound Necron at all. What's that about? You do you know? think it might even perhaps be like Old One? No, because Old Ones would most definitely only use the warp. Oh, okay. Because at some point, they were just warp beings. They were literally just souls uh, yeah, wandering around, my, right? I haven't done my pre-Imperium history uh, module. So <laughs> not too versed. Okay, so it's not the old ones. Is it more so the Necron tier? Uh, no, yeah, but even the Necron tier. That, that, that's what I meant by Necrons. I okay. guess I should have specified. Yeah, you really should, buddy. Get out, play. <laughs> really should. God damn. Um, I mean, it could have been like, I, I guess it could have been the Catan ordering the Necron tier to do it, right? Mm. I, I guess that would make some sense. And the question is. What level of this is? Are there other beacons like this in the galaxy, or is this a beacon to our galaxy? Oh well, well, it ends up being a beacon to our galaxy, doesn't it? But I, I, that's for another book. Yeah, everybody theorizes it's a network. I guess it's just the last one, or one of the last ones, right? Yeah, I don't really know like the old ones in the Necron tier if they're just in this galaxy, or if they're in multiple galaxies. Well, the Necron tier are just in this galaxy, but okay. old ones could be anywhere at this point, or just gone. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's really interesting. I'm, I'm quite, and obviously there is a whole book covering Sofa called Tharos, um, and obviously we'll touch on the Tharos as well. So that'll be that'll be interesting to look at. Um, do you like the idea of a Tharos, or is it a bit gimmicky in getting everyone in one place? No, I, I do like it. It adds um, a little bit of that whole, oh, like the galaxy is way older than we really realize. Like there's a bunch of stuff that we don't understand and probably a lot of um, species that are slash were way more technologically advanced than we are, right? So in a way, if you think about it, it adds a little bit of cosmic horror to the whole thing, right? Because it's yeah. just like, 
oh yeah, there's these like ridiculously powerful beings potentially out in the galaxy, and they haven't even shown themselves. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, and they talk about how the planet it's so old, right? Because they talk there's like there's not really any sign of alien settlement. Yeah, or anything. It's just this ominous uh, beacon and. Nothing else there. Yeah, that weird me out. And then the farmers are just like, oh, whatever, man. Uh, Yo, we just sighting some this, grass this, out here, this man. Is, yeah, yeah, it's my job. <laughs> my generational job. My father was a scythe user. My <laughs> grandfather is a scythe user. My great-great-grandfather was a scythe user. And yeah, they sort of just become... It's just part of their planet, you know? It's just where this little settlement's at. And I'm sure that settlement will be fine. And nothing will happen to it. Uh, what's come on. <laughs> hey. like uh, there's one more thing that i kind of forgot to mention about this cosmic horror thing if you remember um way later in the book when um there's some magic some weird stuff happening uh and gilliman and the lion are in soda gilliman just goes like the planet itself is telling me to just give up on life and just like scythe grass <laughs> yeah is that you are you the planet I am the planet. It's just like, sh- fuck off, Gilliman. Yes. <laughs> like, do one. <laughs> you and all lion as well. You're useless. You mm. can use that big long sword of his and scythe grass, bro. Yeah. Why don't you go down to, yeah, why don't you become the baker in the village? <laughs> Idiot. Yeah. And Gilliman, you could go do everyone's taxes. You'd be the tax man. But yeah, get, getting back on track, though. Um,. I'm pretty sure we were talking about just after Curse got released, right? Like onto the planet. Oh. Um, well, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we're a bit. We are all over the place. We're sort of playing <laughs> the hits today, aren't we? Um, we got to find a way to streamline Thursday ratings. But um, the, I mean, the Vulcan, the Vulcan stuff's very interesting, and that's why that's why I was kind of going when I asked if it was. Did you find it a gimmick? Because it is kind of like oh. Sanguinius is here now. The lion's here now. Whoa, Vulcan's here now. Is it like not in that order? But yeah. you're right. Well, I was testing you. But um, <laughs> does it? Did it feel like that as you were reading it? Were you like, oh, brother, another Primarch, or was it kind of like, or were you like, cool? I like Primarchs. I like Primarchs. I like Primarchs a lot. I, I don't think it's weird because all of these people, like, from my understanding of the whole thing. Um, Istvan isn't that far. Istvan and like where they were sent isn't that far from um, Macrag, right? So it doesn't make sense for um, the Shattered Legions to get there first, and then whoever is next. Uh, which yeah, well, I think it's more of a case. It's case. more about um, it's more about just the order of events. Um, what do you mean? I think I can't. Quite, I'd, I'd have to look at a timeline or something, but Istvan. Five happens. The word bearers are obviously there. Word bearers go from Istvan five to Kalf, or at yeah. least they send. I think I think they send the those who don't like Lorgar as much to yeah, Kalf because he wants to kill him. <laughs> so that happens. Cygnus, I think, happens after Istvan. Thramus happens after Istvan because obviously that's for Night Lords were at Istvan. Um, so it's more just order of events, right? I think Cygnus just happens as Istvan is happening. Yeah, right? so very it, close, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, Horus literally tells um, 
Sanguinius that he's going to Istvan with a massive force and that he needs to go to Sigma's Prime. Um, okay, yeah. And Sanguinius, as he's going to Sigma's Prime, is like, oh, I wonder what, what's on Istvan, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, then, then the whole thing happens. So I think it does make sense for... Because Sanguinius was... Even though the book doesn't feel like it, Sanguinius was trapped in Sigma's Prime for a very long time, right? Yeah, um, I think for, for weeks, if, if not months. Probably, I'd say months, right? Yeah, months. So, so, like, after he well, gets it must out have been of years. Prime, must have been years if we're two years after Kalf and he's just but, come from Cygnus. But you got to remember that he was trapped in the warp after because of the Ruin Storm. Uh, so, also because the warp's weird. <laughs> yep. Hey, so, it must be so nice as a writer where continuity is so important. You can just slap a warp's weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, what's weird? What's weird there? But but yeah, I, I I think in terms of timeline, it does make sense. Um, like the the lion wasn't trapped anywhere, so he gets there first. Uh, the shattered legions are like trickling in because I guess they're not very far. Because again, Kalf, they they get to Kalf, the war bearers, very quickly after Istvan. Uh, so it makes sense for the Shattered Legion to like trickle into uh, the Five Hundred Worlds as that happens. What do the What do the White Scars say to Gilliman? Because surely we're not at a point where we have the Sadio Amazon. Uh, and I mean the, the split. These guys must not have been with the with with Jagatai, right? Yeah, they were probably just isolated somewhere. So they had to make their own decision. Yeah. Which is quite interesting. Yeah, you have a lot of, you know, you have a lot of people in that situation. And I think this book does well to highlight, like, how confusing it would be. And, like, misinformation, kind of like in Scars, right? Yeah. You've got Dawn saying, please come back. And then you've got, is it Horus through the Alpha Legion saying, Russ, Russ, is, Russ is on a mad one. You know, classic Russ. Uh, can you help uh-huh. us out? Yeah, and it's... It is very interesting, and I do, you know, I think, was it Nick who said about space marine bureaucracy? I do yeah. find that very interesting, and I really like Abnett because he does push, um, you know, the idea that 30k space marines are not these, like, indoctrinated religious zealots that they are in in 40k, right? They're pretty free-thinking. Um, at some points... I think he almost goes a little too far, right? With John Grammaticus speaking to that ultramarine sergeant who's like, keeps apologizing to John Grammaticus. I'm like, I feel like a space marine after a certain point, just be like, right. Wait, off you go, off you go. John Grammaticus. So he's on, he's on board right at the start of his arc. He's on board that starport. Oh, okay. okay. Refugees. And he takes Ol's face and he goes up and talks to the space marine. And he's uh, like, and the space marine's very kind to him, for the most part. Yeah, because I mean, it's like, I I guess the ultramarines at this point, um, do care a lot about, um, at least the five hundred rules population, right? Because he's pretending he's a calf refugee, because that's yeah. what Ollie person is essentially, right? So I, I I guess the ultramarine, like, empathizes with the situation. So he's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry about the whole thing. It's just necessary. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and we have, but then we have a sort of opposite of that in the new Ultramarines chapter master. Or the first, first chapter master. master. Uh, 
Um, I hate that guy. Yeah, but it's like he's got character, and I really like that. I do. I like. I think some of my favorite characters in the Heresy are characters that clearly buck the trend of what their legion is and show the i you know the identity within the legion. Okay, but you, you know? can at least agree with me when I say that um, he, he's got he's got about as much character as a standard like world eater. Like that's his personality. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. But then, like they talk about it, though, don't they? They explain it, and like it's kind of like it's another way to identify that Gilliman is probably not acting as uh, sort of clear-headedly as he should. Yeah, because he's like, you know, he's he's sort of well, he kind of is and he isn't. He's sort of he picks Augustine because after Kalf, he becomes you know, as, as they love to call him in this, but the avenging son. I mean, the, you know, the emperor ain't dead yet, mate. What are you avenging? <laughs> and he hasn't avenged anything either. Yeah. And so you think, okay, we've got, you've got the world eaters and the word bearers terrorizing Ultramar. You, you need a new first chapter master because Marius Gage warps weird. Um, <laughs> and there, so therefore you pick someone who's very aggressive to, you know, to really stoke a fire in the Legion uh, and get them, get them going after. Um, but obviously like in real life, these sorts of individuals, these sorts of characters, when moved to almost a peacetime situation, become very restless uh, and very ill-tempered, right? Yeah. Just not fit for duty. I would say even. Yeah. And arrogant. So obviously, yeah, and I don't blame him in this case, but you know he gets Alexis Pollock stumped on him and being like, oh, maybe maybe Alexis Pollock should be uh, helping you with your defense. He's like, well, why? Why? Because because my my Primark nearly died on my watch. But because we we didn't put enough guns on our defenses. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's um it's interesting. Yeah, his his actual individual character, perhaps not the most fleshed out, but what he represents and the decisions behind him becoming the first chapter master, I think are really cool. I think are really cool. I also really like the idea of tetrarchs. Uh, I think that's a very cool concept. You know, yeah. Gilliman's, a bu- Gilliman's a bureaucrat, so he loves to delegate. So, you know, he's putting all these uh, tetrarchs in, in charge of, in charge of the various parts of Ultraman. And and he, I think it's said in No No Fear, isn't it? Where he's like, I'm not training you up just to win me a war. Or is that in this book? Uh, it's in like, both I'm, books. In both I, I think that's literally really... every Ultramarine book. That there, there has to be a mention to that fact. Oh, you're going to be a statesman. <laughs> yeah. Like, yip, yippee. No, definitely not gonna... a Thunder Warrior moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah definitely ain't gonna, you're not going to get Thunder Warriors. Um. But, but you know, Imperium Secundus. I do have a question for you, real quick. Yeah. When did you realize that the thing that fell from the sky was Vulcan? That's a good question. Probably not until they explicitly said it, because I hadn't listened to Vulcan Lives when I first listened to this one. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have... I didn't... I didn't have the context that Vulcan was flying around on a hammer somewhere. Um, yeah. Um, 
I I have to say that I I had my suspicions from the beginning, but I, I was like, as soon as was... I mean, you know, as, with the context that there's a Primarch out there flying around in space, when a when a human a humanoid body crashes, survives somehow, and then heals itself. If you've read Vulcan Lives, I think it's very obvious quite quickly that it's Vulcan, right? Yeah, no, at but... that point I, I was like, yeah, this is probably Vulcan, or at least like some other perpetual we haven't heard because I didn't know that. Uh... Vulcan had ever been on McCrag, even though I, I knew that Kurz was there. I knew the Lion, obviously Gilliman and Sanguinius would be there, but I actually had no idea that Vulcan was there. And like the first time I, the, when he fell, right. And they actually found his body and they said like, Oh, like he might be shriveled up and whatnot, but this guy is goddamn massive and there shouldn't be anything left of him. How, how the hell is he here? Uh, I was like, wait, Vulcan? Nah, it can't be. And I was like on this, like, ping pong table on like oh it's Vulcan oh it's not Vulcan oh it's Vulcan oh it's not Vulcan and then all of nowhere he just starts beating his own casket up and I'm like okay it's Vulcan <laughs> he lives yeah Vulcan lives um yeah it's it's an interesting one to have in there but like he won't he won't do anything else and I think the satisfaction of you know Kurs I mean incredibly cool moment Gillamum it, you know, you know. I think it's like back to back to back cool moments, right? Because you've got Gilliman is like Kurz has tricked everyone into going to the chapel and what is it? The is it the fortress of Hera? Is that yeah, the fortress of Hera? And then sneaks back because the other day he's all about terrorizing. He's like, well, if I kill Gilliman, that's going to really mess with Gilliman. Well, um, but he thinks Gilliman is dead, though. Yeah. So okay, just, like, sure. Wait, okay, another strike, I guess. Just constant terror campaign. I mean, yeah. he is like unhinged. He is like absolutely popping off in that part in the Fortress of Hera. It's like they can't do anything to stop it. It's basically just with a bundle of grenades. He is just single-handedly taking down the entire like McCrag security force and two Primarchs, um, nearly. But it's um, that moment, you know where he's like, oh, you're all alone. And then that final payoff of, wait, why do I smell wet dog? And it's like, you know, and then you get the wolves, you know, defending the half as they've always been reiterating. That's that's what they want to do. Um, the wolves characters in this are very cool, I think. I got I to gotta mention that, you know. Yeah, Fafnir, Blood Brother, definitely 10 out of 10 yeah. character. I mean, also, I don't know who came first, but like, I love again. I love guys being different in each legion, but can we make you know? F- we've got Fafnir Ran. We've got another guy called Fafnir. It's like someone could have given a little bit of something there and yielded a little bit with the name. But I'm being pedantic. But yeah, I love how he arrives and he's like Malkador sent us to stand by every Primarch, and if they do warp weird stuff, we kill him. So in the don't meantime, do it. The librarians be like. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and and Gilliman's like, well, I really respect that. We get drunk, and they're like, <laughs> yeah, and then, um, what's the ritual again with the Dark Angels? Because obviously they've got beef. They've had a punch up with the Dark Angels before. Um, so essentially, I, I think this goes on to forty k as well, which is pretty interesting. Um, but whenever Space Wolves and Dark Angels meet, they must name a champion. Uh, and fight until first blood, I think. 
So, in this book specifically, Fafnir Ran is like, I am the champion. What? Who is your champion? And Lion's like, I don't have time for this. I'm the champion. And Fafnir's like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> he just swings at the lion, and the lion's just like, nope, just punches him out. Out, yeah. out into the middle of nowhere, like, actually flies out. Uh, it's like, a pretty cool moment. It is quite, it's a kind of cool concept. So, well, let's just make sure we never get in one of these big Legion legion books. Because it is like one of those great crusade punch-ups basically that happens um where these these two legions really brawl it out and i think by having this little duel off at the start right it just negate they're like right it's done it doesn't matter until next time but we're not gonna fight each other on mass here we're just gonna let it be have a little bit of a brawl also the dark angels must have got their ass kicked in that great crusade brawl I don't. I don't know if it it turned to shooting. I can't really. I don't recall that many people dying from it. But like, really, you're gonna go. You're gonna go brawl like, as as like noble knights. You're gonna go brawl like space Vikings. Mate, no That's chance. The classic mistake. <laughs> no chance. You've chosen. You've chosen black eye. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So back to you know back to back cool moments there. Because the space will valiantly do their best to protect Gilliman. Can't quite do enough. Get the shit kicked out of them. Kurz confronts Gilliman. Gilliman pops off. Kurz probably had a good cry after this book, after what she said to him. And um, and then the final back-to-back mo- cool moment is Vulcan absolutely pile-driving Kurz out the window. Um, it, is, it is very Avengers. It feels very Avengers. Like, we have a Hulk. It's like, we have a Vulcan. <laughs> Oh, can I just talk about the comic book moment right before that? Sure. Like, Fafnir Bloodbrother is like, alright, everybody in my pack is goddamn beaten up. You gotta run now. I'm gonna go beat up Kurz. And then, like, as uh, Yutin gets up, like, Fafnir Bloodbrother just flies over her, like, instantly. Oh, that's so funny to me, man. It's like, you just see the wham, like, sound effect in the corner of the page. Do you ever watch, um, Red vs. Blue? Uh, Bits and you see like the the animated stuff, yeah. You know, it's like when they're um. There's there's a part. I'll try not to spoil it too much, but there's like Agent Texas is introduced, and she's like, and it, she, they put like three male Spartans up against her, and it's like two of them keep rushing in, and it's like the, the third guy's like, okay, now we're gonna go carefully this time. Now what we're gonna do? And before he's even finished his sentence, they've run in and got the shit kicked out of him and flown back past him. It kind of felt like, uh, kind of felt like, I was like, right, okay, I'm gonna hold him off. You run away, and I'll buy you loads of time. You know, it buys her about three seconds, basically. Um, yeah, I think I think that's really cool. And um, obviously, we haven't had closure yet on Comrade Kurtz, have we? Uh, no, no, he's no. still around somewhere. He's slinking about on still, the crack. still in the corner in McCrack somewhere, crying that you can told him to go to hell you bastard yeah <laughs> i'm already here <laughs> you just uh, sent me there yeah so so absolutely we'll have to see where imperium secundus takes us now that sanguinius has arrived and been declared emperor uh, very reluctantly basically oh, so. <laughs> the way it's done as well 
it's a massive parade, bunch of noise, and Gilliman, like, it, it says he screams, but, like, it's obviously not enough, so he just says, like, he lifts Sanguinius' arm up, and he goes, like, Sanguinius is regent! But, like, nobody hears it, because there's, like, a vuvuzela or something, you know, just going <laughs> over his <laughs> over his voice, dude, you just hear, like, It's like a South African World Cup out here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah, and, and I think, I said it to, uh, in reply to, I think, Leaky, that this is probably my favorite book cover um, because it just has, it has all the sort of Astartes characters in it that are in the actual book. It's not just like, you know, I'm pretty sure Neil, Neil Roberts had a good amount of time uh, to talk to the writer about this final scene, you know, and uh, who was it pointed out? I forget. I should know this. Sorry. Um, but someone said in the Thursday ratings, didn't they, that it was quite ballsy to have the end on the on the cover. Natalie said that. Natalie said that you know it's very cool because they've got the end of the of the book on the front cover. Um, so you know you know what might happen. You know that Gilliman and Sanguinis are in this book at the end, but what's 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 happened to get them there? And that's the story that that happens here. It's not just okay, Neil, we're going to need a bajillion space marines marching across a field, you know, which was sort of like what the early covers were, right? This is a very yeah. well thought out, um, very emotive because the ultramarines are just, and blood angels are just going ape. And then you've got the scars, the dark angels and the wolves a little bit reserved. They're not quite sold on what they're doing um, with this whole Imperial Secundus thing. So I'm very excited to see what you think of Imperium Secundus and see how it goes. It's bad. It, it might not be the best. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we'll round off there. Obviously, a little bit of a chaotic one. It's almost as if Comrade Kurz came in and <laughs> had his way with the script today. But, again, I think we hit all the major points. Uh, um, we didn't talk about John Grammaticus nearly I, Humans are in this book. Okay. Hey, can, I, can I have a rapid-fire session? Yeah, you can have 25 seconds. Go. 25. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, okay. At 40 seconds? All right, here 20, we go. Yeah. So John Grammaticus gets on um on the space station because he's a refugee, talks to the Ultramarine, whatever, finds out that the only way to get on planet without getting detected is going in a funer- funereal sp- uh, spaceship because they're uh, expediting the um, export of uh, Ultramarine bodies. He gets on the planet. He does some weird shit. Um, Slaudad tries to contact him. He doesn't let him. And then uh, Eldrad Ulthran shows up out of nowhere. Tells him, "Oh yeah, you've known about this uh, stuff no." Sorry, that's no. all I've got time for today. <laughs> let me go on, please. Yeah, John, there's other stuff in this book. Um, uh, it's quite interesting. Rather, you're just telling people what happened, not how you feel about it. Because that, we've that's all read the, the book. I'll, I'll we've say all read the, the book. Uh, Brella, you have. 10 seconds to describe how the John Grammaticus arc made you feel starting now. Go. Okay, John Grammaticus arc uh, felt really good. It humanizes both um, both perpetual characters as well as Vulcan, even though he's insane. Uh, he sacrifices himself. Uh, ultimately pointless. There you go. Okay. I'm going to edit. For him, that I'm going to edit those two seconds you went over. No, you can't. <laughs> Come on, Just man. Edit them up, Production's vetoing it. That's what the rapid fire, rapid fire section should all be about, Varela. It's how you feel. Not... Not what happened, right? Sure. I, I, you, you know, I, I, I can do that for the next one. You, you want to give me 25 yeah. more seconds? <laughs> what do you want to talk about? 
Uh, the same thing, bro. <laughs> no, 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 no. If you've got one more topic, I'll give you uh, a certain amount of time. Uh, Narek? 15 seconds starting now. Okay, so Narek once, uh, he's, a, he's loyalist, he kills a bunch of fucking actual word bearers, and essentially he just shows that even word bearers, which, whose flaw is loyalty, can be actually loyal to the Emperor, and he just wants to cleanse his legion, and that's really cool. There you go. Oh, on the timer. Well done. Oh, okay. <laughs> on that note, everyone, thank you so much for joining us as we covered the, the various the Patreons. greatest hits of the Unremembered Empire. I know. <laughs> I know production. That's your thing. I'm going to hand over to you in a second. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Um, we're due a June, uh, uh, the May video very soon. Um, I think what we'll do for our May Patreon video, Varela, is we put out a tweet recently saying... Who is one character in the Horus Heresy you would kill off and how? And I think we'll do maybe like our the three characters of the Horus Heresy that we would kill off and how would we do it? Okay, so that's something to look forward to on Patreon where you can join for as little as £1 a month. And we've also updated the Captain and Primarch tiers where you can be immortalized in my very soon upcoming Imperial Fist army. As uh, if you join as a Primarch, I'll build a leader unit all based around you, and you can get full sort of direction on where the model goes. And otherwise, if not, we can still talk at the captain level, and we can get you a sergeant or a trooper or a tank or a dreadnought named after you. And I'll even get a custom nameplate made and slap it on the base so everyone knows that that is your Patreon model. And Varela, honestly, guys, I wouldn't take it. It's an Imperial Fist. If you want to be like a Dead Iron Warrior on the base, guys. By all means, actually, why do I even bother painting Iron, Iron Warriors? Most miserable paint scheme ever. Hazard stripes. Who cares? <laughs> um, on that note, if I swear to God, if we get a Primarch tier and he makes me paint up Alexis Pollux, <laughs> don't do that, guys. That would really suck. Um, but in terms of how we feel about the Patreons, I'm going to hand over to Varela, and I feel all the same things he's about to say. All right, once more, a huge thank you to all Patreons. You help us make this happen. Help me buy the books so I can read them to you uh, and tell tell you what I feel about and the story of John Grammaticas, obviously. That's the most important part. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for supporting us. Um, and I'll see you on the next one, I guess. And I'll say see you again in a second. So did it really matter? No, thank you. <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening. It's goodbye from me and from Varela. I'll see you. Bye now.